Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right, we are back with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. It is a great day, and especially because we have a repeat guest with us. Tim Lyons is coming back all the way from episode 64 back in 2020. I know that is everybody's favorite episode, so this is going to be another banger. Um, Tim is a New York City Fire Department uh, lieutenant in Queens, and he is still in, uh, in the fire department. And also an investor. Um, he is focused on capital raising now with Cityside Capital. I don't want to tell his full story. So, Tim, thank you very much for hopping on the show again. Gabe, it's uh, great to be back with you. And you're right. Everybody remembers episode 64 back <laughs> in the day. And I I had all intentions of re-listening to that episode just to kind of hear the transformation that has occurred for myself and my business from then until now. But that's going to have to wait till after this recording. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what almost three years ago. So that uh, I'm sure a lot has changed in three years. We're going to get into it here. Um, so, really quick for people who you know had the misfortune of not listening to 64, um, tell us what give it give us your background. What is your story? How'd you get started in real estate? Yeah. So simply, you know, listen. I was the everyday guy, right? I was Tim the firefighter, Tim the uh, ER nurse. ER nurse was my side hustle. Um, I went back to nursing school after I was already a firefighter because everybody had a side gig, and I'm not very handy with tools, uh, surprisingly. Um, so a lot of people are like, you know, contractors and roofers and plumbers and electricians, and I'm, I'm just not cut out for that. Um, so I was, you know, uh, pre med for about 15 minutes in college. So I said, you know what? I like this emergency medicine stuff. Let me go back to nursing school. And I worked with a bunch of nurses. So, uh, they always had the, the side gigs. They drove the nice cars. Their wives didn't work. So I'm like, you know what? Let me do that. Uh, and it was great, right? I mean, my wife got to stay home with our, we have three little girls, 12, nine, and four. Uh, so she stayed home for a few years in the beginning. And, um, you know, life was good, right? Bills were paid. Four one. Uh, well, we have a four fifty seven. You know, was being contributed to. You know, uh, two vacations a year, maybe, and uh, you know, really not a whole lot to complain about. But there was a burning desire to be, do, and have more. I just felt like I was. I felt like I was on the hamster wheel. You know, even though I love what I did, I and I still love being a New York City firefighter. I still I'm going in tonight, and I can't wait to get there. And um, you know, but when you start having kids, uh, well, when I started having kids, um, when they're little and they can't talk back, you know, you can justify working 80, 90, 100 hours a week sometimes with the overtime or extra shifts or, you know, because you're trying to, you know, I told myself I'm trying to make more money. I'm trying to, you know, support my family and I'm trying to do the right thing. And then, you know, you, you, you when the kids get a little older and they can talk back and they can, you know, cry and be like, dude, where are you going? Like you literally just got home from a 24 and now you're leaving for a 12 hour shift in the ER. Uh, you know, it was just, it was a lot. Right. And I knew something had to change. Uh, so I was in my mid thirties and, um, I basically boiled it down to long story short, I boiled it, boiled it down to buying a business or starting a business and, or, uh, uh, in real uh, investing in real estate, and uh, that's kind of the origin story of uh, me getting involved in real estate. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure 
ton of people out there um, can relate to that story. You know, having kids and then realizing, well, shit, I I need to find a way to spend more time with them. I need to find a way. You know, I even if you do love your job, and it sounds like you do, um, sometimes you just want to have the freedom to be able to choose where you spend your time, be it at your job or elsewhere with your family. Um, so I'm glad you guys you made it to where you are today. Uh, it sounds like you you've kind of reached the point to where you can make that decision. And uh, we just talked before you got onto this podcast. You are 20, 21, 20 months away from retirement. Yeah. So when I got onto the New York City Fire Department back in May of 05, um, I was still uh, under the uh, pension system where you could work 20 years and get a pension and you know benefits and, and stuff like that, um, which, which is a big reason why people take that job, right? And uh, it's a lot different today for the new hires. Um, but yeah, I mean, so... I've uh, been blessed and grateful to have a uh, a long career, a healthy career for the most part. And, um, you know, if I can take that and, uh, you know, bid adieu to that chapter of my life and 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 go really into my new passion, uh, which is real estate and uh, finance and uh, investing and helping other folks along the journey uh, as well. I mean, that's what I'm that's what I'm, I'm hoping to do. Awesome. Well, congratulations to that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your real estate career. Um, you know, you've you've had great success. Uh, get me up to speed. It's been three years since we talked last. What have you guys been doing? And so when the last time we talked, you were focused on multifamily investment. You guys were doing, um, I think you were doing flips of multifamily repositioning. Uh, so where have you gone since then? Uh, yeah. So got started with a three unit and I self-managed and, um, I bought that with a partner. I was scared to death. I didn't know what I didn't know. I'm not very handy as we talked about. Uh, but I wanted that experience and, uh, I held on to that property for two years. We bought that in November of 19, uh, very quickly realized that I hated being a landlord. I wanted to scale up, uh, buying 100 to 120 year old, uh, three, uh, family wood frame houses, um, probably wasn't the best and highest and best use of my capital because of deferred maintenance and all the other things that come along with it. So I kept on hearing about multifamily, um, ended up getting, uh, into a mentorship program for multifamily. Um, and that was the Jake and Gino one, right? Jake and Gino, correct. And, um, did that March of 2000, like the first week in March and the second week of March, we were uh, going to flatten the curve for two weeks uh, by staying indoors. Um, and all of a sudden I'm doing homeschool and and Zoom classes and it was a complete disaster. And I just paid 25000 to be mentored. And I'm like, holy cow, what's going to go on? Anyway, really leaned into the process, uh, spent a ton of time in, the, in those beginning dark days of just educating myself, making the phone calls, connecting with people, Zoom calls, you know, the whole nine and I was able to partner with my coach on a 43 unit uh, in you know Pennsylvania, right? Not the sexiest of locations, I guess, as far as investing. But you know what? Had the opportunity of a lifetime to get the front row seat behind, uh, you know, behind the behind the scenes view of how does a real estate syndication work, um, or you know, a group investment. And uh, I was hooked. So um, did three deals by partnering with folks um, in that community and really um really came to the realization that real estate investing in general uh especially commercial is a team sport right and everybody yeah. has their strengths and weaknesses and um the the sum is you know all the parts that make up the sum right and like everybody who can bring their strengths to the table you know that's how deals work and that's how success is made and that's what i came to to realize 
I knew that I wasn't picking up my family and moving to Phoenix or Austin, Texas or Tampa, Florida or, you know, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, just as much as I would love to go to those places. I wasn't moving. Um, I wasn't a particularly great underwriter, right? I just learned the business. Um, I had no contracting skills as we've talked about uh, ad nauseum today. And uh, so what what could I do? I mean, I could raise capital and I actually really enjoyed that process. I, I enjoyed raising capital. I enjoyed talking to, with investors who at the time were basically just friends, family, you know, college roommates, you know, colleagues, stuff like that. Um, because I was just getting started, right? No one knew me as, you know, the investor. So, um, you know, so as I went through that process, Gabe, as you know, like, you know, being an investor or just living life, it's an iteration process, right? You figure out what works and you do it. Uh, you figure out what doesn't work and you stay away from it. So when it came to capital raising, I dove in headfirst and realized that there's a lot of laws and um, rules and regulations with FINRA and the SEC about how to legally raise capital for real estate opportunities. Um, and most of the rules are, you know, basically predicated on regulation D, uh, uh, exemption for securities filings um, and using two vehicles called the 506B and a 506C uh, offering. So um, the more I went down this, the more I realized that, you know, it, you know, you really have to know what you're doing. Right. And with that, you have to have a material participation in the in the operation of that of that property or the, the, the groups of properties or the funds. And, you know, you can't just raise capital don't get paid for it and move on to the next deal right so um so i i in my mentorship i got uh introduced to a broker dealer um that was focused on commercial offerings commercial real estate offerings uh through private placements using the reg d exemption uh 506b and c uh and it was exactly what i was looking for it kind of fell into my lap um so my brother greg and i who's my partner at cityside capital um after doing our due diligence and our you know uh you know looking at the pros and cons of getting licensed and working with a broker dealer and versus doing our own thing and you know uh trying to find our own deals and run our own deals and do all that we decided that you know since i was a firefighter full-time and uh greg is a, a director of real, real estate for a company down in virginia um it really made sense right it made sense to for us to lean into our strengths and stay in, in the capital raising space uh, and get licensed to do so and work with uh, you know uh a broker dealer. So, um, I'll pause and I'll throw it back to you. I'm sure you got a ton of questions and we can, we can unpack any of that. Nice, man. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad, um, glad you came on today. Cause this is something I know very, very little about the deals that I've uh, done so far. I've done kind of as JVs. Um, so I brought on, you know, one or two, two partners, capital partners to close my deals. So I know nothing about syndications in terms of like the 506 B and C and all that jazz. Um, and I didn't even know you could get licensed. So, so let's start there. Um, licensing. I didn't realize that was a thing when it came to creating or I don't know. You tell me what does the license do? What does it provide? And, uh, and what kind of what is the use of it when you're in, in terms of a syndication? Yeah. So the licenses are, uh, the, uh well, Depending on broker dealers, they have different uh, preferences for what licenses you should have. And generally sorry, speaking, I'm going to jump in there real yeah. quick. So you said broker dealer. Is that what What are they brokering? Are you talking about like a real estate broker that's brokering like, the sale of properties or they're brokering securities? Yeah, um, so it's basically securities, right? So a broker dealer, if you picture Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, uh, TD Ameritrade, um, 
you know, those types of organizations, they're usually a broker dealer. Um, and that just means that they buy and sell securities on, uh, you know, for themselves or for their investors. Right. Right. That's like the definition of a broker dealer. You can buy and sell securities, uh, for your benefit or the the benefit of, uh, of others. And it could be Um, like stocks or, and usually it is stocks, bonds, ETFs, um, treasuries, uh, options, you know, you know, that whole wall street type of menu of options is mm-hmm. they're all done by broker dealers, right? Um, the broker dealer that I work with is specifically focused, uh, or I should say solely focused on private placement investment opportunities in the commercial real estate space. So we don't do ETFs, we don't do stocks, bonds, mutual funds, we don't do any of that stuff. We just do, you know, multifamily. At this at this time, we do multifamily, uh, self-storage and industrial uh, you know, investment opportunities. So to be affiliated with a broker dealer and to, you know, use this kind of method of raising capital, you have to have, you know, certain licenses. And there's three exams. The first one anyone can take, it's called the Securities Industries Essentials Exam or the SIE. Um, And most people will take that to kind of show that they're interested, right? And they'll be able to talk to a broker dealer and say, hey, you know, I uh, got my uh, SIE exam already taken, you know. Uh, I'd like to, you know, be affiliated with your broker dealer and the broker dealer then has to sponsor you for the next two exams. Uh, for us, that was the series 82, um, which had to do with private placements and, um, you know, securities of that nature and the 63, which was the uniformed, uh, securities rules and regular, uh, rules and regular, uh, regulations, excuse me. Um, so, uh, other broker dealers that I've, uh, come into contact with, uh, instead of the 82, they will have their people take the 22. Um, so it's just, all, you know, a broker dealer, uh, preference. So once you have those, uh, exams, right, you, you get sponsored for the series 82 and series 63. Uh, now you can affiliate yourself with a broker dealer as what's called a registered representative. Um, and, you know, look, it's a little different than, um, you know, you're, you're in the in the end, you're raising capital. It's just it's a little different, right? We have to abide by way more compliance uh, suitability clauses. We have to um, make sure that the issuers or the operators are suitable for our investors. We have to make sure that the investors are suitable for the uh, private placement type of uh, investments, right? That this is not their last fifty thousand or yeah, their only fifty thousand accredited, stuff. non-accredited, right? right. Oh, there's all that that kind of goes into it. So. Um, and look, you know, the, the, I, the question I get all the time is, well, why do, why do operators need your money? I, you know, and the answer is, look, you know, operators can raise dependent on, you know, if they're experienced or not, they can raise millions, tens of millions by themselves. Uh, but if they have a couple of deals going on at the same time, or they have constant deal flow, you know, eventually their investor base will get either get tapped out or it's harder for them to spend time and resources, you know, with their investor relations team. And they'd rather outsource that or just have a partner like us to be able to lean on for, for equity for deals. So, um, yeah, let me throw it back to you. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I knew the general understanding of of how syndications work in terms of raising capital. I didn't realize you can get a license, so that's uh, that's good to know. Um, in terms of structuring, so when you guys raise capital for a uh, a GP, um, how does that deal generally structured? Like, what percentage of the equity goes to the capital raisers? What goes to the limited partners? What goes to the GP? All that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. So the cost of capital that we bring to a deal is uh, really, you know, it's baked into the deal, but it's really on the general partnership side. So I get that question all the time. Like, well, how much do you guys cost? Right. And if I'm in a limited partner and I, I want to invest 50,000 into a deal, right. Um, you all 50,000 is going into that. All 50,000 of those dollars are going to be on the equity side for that limited partner, right? It's on the general partnership side. It's their cost of equity that they pay us out of, right? Mm-hmm. So um, all the deals that we do um, are basically 70-30 splits. Uh, 70% goes to the limited partnership uh, or the passive investors, and 30% goes to the general partners or the issuer or the operator, however you want to define them. And um, out of that 30% uh, is where our carry comes from and our, you know, our uh, fees upon bring capital, bring capital into the deal. Um, now, on the flip side, we can only work with, you know, my, my broker dealer, uh, we can only work with the operators that have been fully vetted through our six to eight week process. There's a cost uh, associated with that. There's uh, site visits. There's uh, due diligence. We have a third party due diligence firm. We have an in-house underwriter. Uh, you know, so there's a whole process to go through before we say, yeah, we want to, we want to work with you going into the future and build that relationship. Uh, so we don't do one-off deals with operators. We don't do deals where people call us. I get, you know, five to 10 calls a week saying, Hey Tim, I heard you're a capital raiser and, uh, we have a need for 17 million and we're closing next Friday and we're <laughs> short by three. Uh, can you help us? You know, and uh, while it might be a screaming deal, it might be a deal of a lifetime. You know, unfortunately, that's not how it works. It's more of a longer term play. We really pick and choose who we want to work with very closely. Uh, you know, and uh, that's that's kind of how we qualify the operators uh, and their deals. Nice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so seventy percent LP, thirty percent GP, and then out of that thirty percent, what is the split between the um, the operators and the capital raisers? So, um, yeah, I mean, so it's generally speaking, um, we get paid for the capital that we bring into the deal, right? So there's really no uh, cookie cutter answer for like, if you bring this amount, you get this. If you bring that amount, you get this. It's just all one uh, agreed upon fee. So uh, somewhere, usually we're somewhere in the ballpark of say 10% of capital that we bring into the deal is our carry on the on the back end. Um, so that just has to fit into the 30% of the GP. Um, gotcha. Yeah. That makes so, sense. so it's basically, it's all, um, due to the, to how much money we bring into the deal. Uh, so it's not really percentage wise. It's basically on the number that we bring into the deal. Cool. Yeah. No, no, no. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so when you guys, you guys raise capital, you go out there, you meet with people, you, you get them to commit commit their capital for deals that you bring in um, through your connections. What uh, for somebody out there who is a GP who wants to find capital raisers to partner with, what are is the suggestions that you give them? Um, what do you look for in your partners? All that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, look, generally speaking, we're looking for people with experience, right? Uh, it's no secret that we're recording this, you know, September of 23. There's uh a, clickbait in the news, you know, commercial real estate is going to be crushed as a tidal wave coming. And, you know, listen, to a certain extent, uh, that is, you know, certainly a consideration of what's going on with the high interest rate environment and the, the rolling over of debt and all that good stuff. So uh, we want people who maybe have a little gray hair, right? They've been through a market cycle or two. They've had some eggs. They've had a couple of uh, full cycle opportunities, meaning that they they bought a property, they implemented a business plan, they financed it correctly, they ran it correctly, and they were able to produce results on the other end for their for themselves and, the, and their limited partners. Um, 
you know, people who are just starting out or people just went to a weekend conference and they want to call themselves a syndicator and 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 have access to, you know, big equity uh, out of the gate is not somebody that we're, you know, at this point looking to to work with, right? Um, so that's really, and then the second, secondarily, uh, you know, markets, right? We have certain operators that we have uh, now had strategic relationships with and been working with them in certain markets. So we don't want to oversaturate a market. Uh, for example, we already have people in DFW, right? So Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, so if somebody comes to us and say, Hey, we're a Dallas, Fort Worth operator, you know, we're not trying to fit too many players into the same sandbox because we feel that, you know, there'll be undue, um, uh, competition, uh, and that may not work out well, uh, on the other end for our investors. Right. So, um, so we try to, you know, spread out, uh, and diversify operators across the markets that we are looking to invest in, uh, and also on the same vein, you know, the different asset classes right now, it's only three that we work with, uh, multifamily self-storage and industrial triple net leases. Nice. Um, yeah, let's talk about the assets. Uh, so, I mean, when when I originally spoke with you, you, you were only in multifamily. Since you've picked up industrial and self storage, self storage is my my bread and butter. It's the one I love. Um, Why did you guys jump into the self storage? Have you closed any deals recently? Uh, what's happened on that front? Yeah, so we work with a uh, a very large self storage provider. I think they're the 17th or 18th largest provider in the country, um, and they use a fund model. So we've done uh, two of their funds. Um, so we've raised capital into the fund structure, which has anywhere from, uh, say, 18 to 32 or 33 properties in each fund. Um, and they also work on within the fund with a private equity group that is also another capital partner. So um, there's a strategic alliance to, with, with these groups that we have worked with in the self-storage space. And the reason why you know, is, you know, we believe in the thesis, the investing thesis of self-storage. Um you know, uh, as you're, you know, I'm sure you're aware, 70% of the self-storage, uh, you know, businesses at, in, in America are run by mom and pops. And the other 30% are the big box, you know, uh, are with the retail, uh, then they're owned by the REITs, the big REITs. Um, so like uh, Store It and, you know, U-Haul and, and stuff like that. Those are all uh, run by REITs. So, um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity out there to, you know, buy a self-storage facility that has some sort of value-add component. So we look for buildable space on the on the land. So can we add, you know, t- uh, 10,000 square feet, 12,000 square feet of space? Can we add, you know, refrigerated or a climate-controlled space? Can we do boat and RV storage, depending on what part of the country we're in? Um, you know, so there has to be some sort of value-add play, uh, and along with the mom and pop owner that maybe just got really comfortable, doesn't have much debt, um, doesn't raise the rents, uh, very much, if at all. Uh, so, you know, there's different ways to grow that NOI, uh, and we look to, you know, bundle that into the fund over say a three to six year hold and sell off to a, uh, an institution or, uh, somebody who's looking for a, not a value-add per se, but a stable, uh, cash flow um, business. Yeah. All right. Um, it looks like we have run down the clock, but before we move on, you said refrigerated and that kind of piqued my interest. Um, I have heard of people adding refrigerated units to self-storage facilities. Never done it myself. I've never even looked at a facility that had refrigerated within it. Um, what is, I mean, in terms of demand, do you see a lot of demand for refrigerated units? And then also what is the I mean, I know there's a lot more in construction costs that goes into creating refrigerated units, but is there is the upside in terms of what you can um, rent those units out for? Is it pretty substantial or give me some give me some of your knowledge about refrigerated units for self-storage? 
So in all, like full disclosure, I meant to say climate controlled um, instead okay. of refrigerated. <laughs> I meant I meant to say climate controlled, but right. um, you know, to that end though, right? Like you know, in the southeast United States, it's hot, it's humid, it's um, you know, there's a lot. If people have a boat or people have a a, a huge, um, I want to call it a RV, uh, you know. Um, the camper, you know, a big camper, you know, those things they want, they want, they want them indoors, right? A lot of times they don't want the sun beating down on them. They don't want the the elements, uh, you know, beating down on them, the rubber seals, the windows, the tires, right? So they want them indoors in a climate controlled, uh, you know, environment or even just like computer equipment or, you know, electronics and stuff like that. Like, you know, there's a huge demand for not just a shed out in the blazing heat, uh, um, you know, uh, or the freezing cold, right. Depending on where you are in the country. Uh, but to have stuff that you really truly care about, you want to have it in a climate controlled uh, facility. Um, so that's really what I was, uh, I was talking about. Yeah. Climate controlled. That's, uh, I've, uh, we've, there are refrigerated units that have gone up near me here in uh, here in Tacoma, and I've always driven driven by them, and I'm like, I wonder what the, the thesis is on those guys because who uses them? Like, is it the only thing that I can think of is giant grocery stores? But <laughs> who knows? I'm thinking meat control, locker, a, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a different uh, that's a different beast there. Um, all right, man. So we went through the clock. It looks like it's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Starts with books or any form of education. Give me two recommendations. One for general life wisdom, one for real estate specific. Uh, the Wealthy Gardener uh, for general life wisdom by John Sofuric. Sofuric, I think it is the way you say it. Um, it's one of those books that uh, I, I listen to once a year on Audible. Now I read it; I couldn't put it down. Um, and it's uh, it's a parable slash real life um, story about investing, about uh, life's lessons. Um, just it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. Nice. I the second one. Fun. Yeah, keep going. The second one for real estate. Um, I mean, look, I mean, the way I got started, and it sounds probably probably pretty cliche is rich dad, poor dad. But, you know, people read that and then they say either they get it or they don't. Uh, it's more of a, a framework so that you really need to follow that book up with his second one, which is called the cash flow quadrant, which is more of a actionable, strategic, you know, hands-on type of approach. Uh, so I would say together, rich dad, poor dad followed very closely by the cash flow quadrant. Nice. Yep. Great, uh, great suggestions. And I just pulled up the wealthy gardener on Amazon. I'm definitely going to have to buy that. I love um, like kind of the alchemist, the way of the peaceful warrior, those kind of books where there's, it's a story that gives some wisdom. Uh, it sounds like a, a good one. So thanks for the recommendation. Moving on to the next question. And this is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Tim who was just doing his first, his first, uh, his first overnight as a uh, New York City Fire Department um, lieutenant. Go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Wow. One piece of advice for the brand new firefighter or the brand new lieutenant? Let's go brand new firefighter, right? When you got started. Brand new firefighter. Um, I would tell him to relax. I was nervous. Uh, I think we're all, I'm still nervous, right? Going to a fire. We went to a blazing third alarm the other night. I was still nervous, right? I've been doing it 18 years. Uh, But you know what? I would tell him to relax, uh, to lean on the team, uh, trust the process. Uh, Our training carries us through in times of, uh, you know, craziness. So uh, yeah, take a deep breath. Nice. Feel like that's good advice not only for firefighters but for just pretty much anybody doing anything out there um so many times sure. when you're going into a new new event a new experience it's pretty easy to get wound up so if you can just take a breath and relax 
trust you'll be able to get through it. Um, it's good advice for anybody. Moves us to the next question, and this is for your business. The first three positions we hire form the foundation of our business. So what were they for you? And would you do it differently in a different order if you uh, did it again today? Well, I really hope my brother Greg listens to this because I uh, I, I started this journey and then I I, I loving him lovingly let him onto the uh, the the managing partnership of Cityside Capital. Uh, so he was really my first guy. But um, I mean, look, uh, we've we've uh, hired several virtual assistants. Uh, you know, because when you're getting started, uh, you know, capital is an issue, right? Revenue is an issue. Um, but we've we've been able to find some really great help for like website marketing and uh you know email automations and zapier all things that i don't have time to either or and i still don't understand and uh but i know i can conceptualize it uh so i i would i would highly recommend uh, a great va or a team of vas um you know so much in sales um is talking to people so uh if you're if i'm going to hire we're, we're actually going to hire our first person who's not family um you know in the in the next month and it's a wall street veteran i'm super excited to roll him uh, out in the next couple of weeks um but it's talking to people so sales uh talking to people and and getting them comfortable and understanding their needs and solving their problems i mean that is the lifeblood of any kind of uh business is solving people's problems and when you can do that you can be very successful and the final one is marketing right if nobody knows what you're doing or where to find you then you're not going to have a sustainable business model so sales marketing and if you got a brother out there that you like uh you, you can bring him along as well there you go all right. Next question is about the U.S. It's a big place, a lot of opportunity out there. Give me the single metro you're most excited about investing in today. Oh man! Uh, so my gut first went to um, the west coast of Florida. Uh, we're just finding a lot of uh, great opportunities, and we have some successful projects there. But I'm really going to pivot uh, to a non-traditional uh, space, which is uh, the east. The east coast of Michigan, right into Ohio. We have an operator up there that is uh, just fantastic to work with. They're really just really a strong, vertically integrated operator in a non-sexy market um, that's just really, you know, adding value, um, creating cash flow, very low leverage. I mean, it's just it's a really great operator. So uh, that's the market that I'm most excited about going forward right now. You are the first person to say anywhere in Michigan. So there I you knew go. it. I knew it. I was. <laughs> All right. Uh, this next question is generally, how do you find good deals? What's your favorite way to find good deals? But I'm going to change it for you guys. What is your favorite way to connect with new investors? I love podcasting. Uh, we have our own podcast called the Passive Income Brothers Podcast, and uh, it has become uh, a labor of love. I mean, I love it so much. I could do it all day long. Uh, so um, that's really the best way because, you know, we are connecting with real people, hearing great stories, being constantly inspired. Um, you know, and listen, Gabe, I don't know if you feel like this as a podcast host, but I still suffer from what's called imposter syndrome. I still, you know, uh, I really had to work on myself and my personal growth and development that I'm an, I'm an uh, investor, that I have a private equity company, that I'm a podcast host, uh, because at the end of the day, I still feel like I'm unworthy for some reason uh, sometimes. And I, I feel like I'm Tim the fireman, Tim the ER nurse, uh, which is still a great person to be. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answered the question, but no, yeah, no, no, I totally, totally associate with that. It's really, um, 
you know, it, it, everybody, I feel like has those feelings of even when you've made it, when you've done good deals, when you're running the podcast, you still feel like you're, you're not that person, but you know, when you're doing it, you are action really speaks louder than words there. Um, and yeah, man, I love podcasting too. So I totally feel you. It's a, it's a blast. It's great to meet with people, connect with people like yourself. Um, so yeah, all good things. Moving us on to, I lost my spot. I do this every time. I feel like I, I should start counting how many times I lose my spot on my sheet. Well, it's there probably it because I'm giving you long-winded answers to your short answer round. So I apologize. <laughs> it's, it's all good. All right. Uh, this one is about your strengths. We're all gifted with strengths that we uniquely provide this world. So what is your Superman strength? You know, I think it's breaking down some of the more complex uh, investment terms and features and really kind of giving it back to investors uh, in an everyday language, right? Um, you know, like Joe the Plumber back in, you know, the the old uh, election cycle, right? Uh, Tim the Fireman, Tim the ER nurse. Like, I get that question all the time. Dude, how do you know so much about this? Like, you could just talk about this all day long. And it's because it's my passion. Um, it works for me. It worked for my family. Um, am, I where, am I where I want to be with my passive income? No. Um, you know, I'm always working towards a new goal in life. But um, it's powerful stuff. And I just love to be able to break these concepts down and and and. Bring them, bring them to the to the the regular folks out there who I think need to hear the message. Perfect, and that leads us right into the last question. Um, you've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you. What do you guys offer, and where can people find you? Uh, well, thank you for the opportunity, Gabe, uh, to do this. Um, so they can find us in a in a multiple mul- a multitude of ways. You can go to our website, citysidecap.com. You can find uh, me or my brother, Greg, uh, Greg Lyons or Tim Lyons on all the major social media channels. We have a podcast, like I talked about, the Passive Income Brothers podcast, um, as well as our YouTube channel, which is Cityside Capital. Um, and if that all fails, you could just email me, Tim at CitysideCap.com. Perfect. You guys also have a book, right? Uh, did I read that somewhere? Oh, no. Yeah, yes. So, chapter from the number, Amazon's number one bestseller book. Which one is that? So the book is called Bringing Value, Solving Problems, and Leaving a Legacy. And I was in a mastermind a couple of years ago, and they convinced me to write uh, my story in a chapter uh, in an Amazon, what ended up being a uh, number one uh, Amazon bestseller. So um, I have the physical copy. I have about 1,400 of them in my garage. So I'd be happy to send you a copy, a physical copy. And that's going to be an email to Tim at CitysideCap.com, or I do have the uh, the links I can send you for the uh, electronic version. Perfect. I will put those links in the show notes. So if y'all want to reach out to Tim, just click the little more in the description. It'll pull down that full description in there. You can find those links. All right, Tim, that wraps it up. Again, thank you very much for hopping on the show again. Thank you, Gabe. Have a great day. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe, with realestateinvestingclub.com. And if you guys want to support the show, all we ask, give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. 
If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.